Good morning. This is Jackie Naaman Jones, Debbie from Monos, the Hands of Fate, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Too much scrolling for November 14th, 2023. I'm Steve Foder. I'm pre Turkey Chip Hessenfly. Just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things are important to us. Hopefully, they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Please explain. Please explain what a pre turkey would look like. Are you an egg? I, I'm, uh, I am what I am, Steve. You're a jive turkey. Uh, well, that's right. It's, it's the week before Thanksgiving, Steve. It's Thanksgiving week eve. There's a whole week for Thanksgiving now. It just keeps on going and going. And Turkey Day. We've got Turkey Day coming up as well as Thanksgiving. Well, you know, that's the big thing is that this is the week before Thanksgiving week, Steve. Um, are, are your kids uh, excited about having uh, a little break, a little uh, fall break, Steve? They are certainly looking forward to a fall break. Uh, we have parent-teacher conferences, and then Thanksgiving and Turkey Day, and then Chicago TARDIS. Uh, we, it's a very, very busy time of the year. Exactly. And this is the week before it, Steve. This is where the big buildup comes. <laughs> big anticipation. <laughs> Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. You, sir, have been, boy, oh boy, have you been busy going to the movies this week? It was almost like a whole month of not really having movies that I wanted to see around. Uh, it was a bunch of horror films that were released, and that's just not my genre. Mm -hmm. So I got, I've got to do a little catch-up. Uh, so our, our catch-up this week is I got to see the Marvels, Steve. Opening day, first showing. Opening day, the Marvel Cinematic Universe movie number 33, The Marvels. Yeah, it was very light crowd. Uh, so there's the first thing you could say <laughs> is that, you know, everybody was anticipating this film. Uh, certainly for people who love the MCU and knowing this is the 33rd movie in that series. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing that, that dawned on me is that... Um, this is getting very confusing. There's so many movies. And, you know, for a person to prepare for this movie, um, it seems like it could be daunting. So I'm wondering if that's having a little bit of play on how these are performing. Okay. So um, this movie did not have a lot of hope. You, you, you knew going into it, there had been a lot of rewrites, a lot of refilming of this. Um, Brie, Brie Larson as Captain Marvel, at least how they portrayed her before, is, is very, very stoic. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by this okay. film. This film is not anything perfect or anything like that, but you know, it's like Ant-Man. You know, you, you went to see it. You could tell it had been carved up quite a bit. We have a generic bad person that's in this. She's our bad person. It's got a hammer. And um, you don't really care about that. But the person I really enjoyed most was the character of Miss Marvel, um, who was played by Enman Vanali. And uh, she was just her energy, her youth, her joyfulness, certainly 
made um, the film much more enjoyable. They really tried to lighten up Brie uh, Larson's Captain Marvel quite a bit, loosen her up. They have this singing um, event that happens in the middle of the film. That's a little odd. But you know what? Anything can happen out in outer space, I guess. And then we also have... You can't hear us sing. <laughs> exactly. Then we have our second Captain Marvel. Uh, that's that's there too. Monica Rambeau, and uh, you know they they wanted to make when when Disney bought Marvel, they wanted to make these characters younger. Okay. And um, I think that they are succeeding there. I don't know if this is going to hit the demographic that they're wanting, but they're going to need fresh blood to come in and, and start watching these films. Um, this film, uh, as our recording has underperformed significantly, mm-hmm. I don't think that, I I, th- I think it's immediately apparent, like Ant-Man, there was a different movie that was filmed and they put this together. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to work with characters that are so powerful. And I'm not going to give away spoiler spoilers, but there's a part of this movie where Captain Marvel has to go and re and relight a sun. And just think about that in your head. You know, pulling up a tree out of the ground takes a certain amount of strength. But to relight a sun, I mean, it's it's you can't even imagine the that num- type the of amount problem. of energy that that would take is is just unbelievable. And and unbelievable things happen in Marvel comics for sure. sure. But on movie number 33 do we even care about these characters are these characters likable well there's your 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 question um is that you know black panther was a c-list character if not d-list you know guardians of of the of the galaxy were d maybe e but what they uh, had was uh, people that we would uh, go see and they created these worlds around them that were just more enjoyable. Captain, uh, Captain Marvel or Miss Marvel, as she was known in the 70s, was never that type of character. And it, they just I, th- I don't think they've written her as well to be likable. And I listen, this is not a kick on any actor that's playing this. You know, you have to make decisions when you're writing these characters. And it's just, you've got this incredibly powerful character that's way more powerful than you can truly think about. And then you you, you wrote her very stoically. And that's just maybe not the best. I, I think that the Miss Marvel character from the Disney Plus series I think she humanizes all of our Captain Marvels. Mm-hmm. I think that the joy she brings to it makes it a lot more fun. And there's some cats in this and lots of cats, lots and lots of cats, Steve. So let's just say that if you like this type of movie, go see it, 55 out of 100. But you know, if you don't, then don't see it because I don't think it's really going to matter. There are two post-credit scenes that are going to set up some stuff, but yeah, you can miss them. I don't think it's going to be a big deal. Okay. All right. I, I, I will take that as a, I'll wait for that on Disney plus for the Marvels. You also got a chance to see the latest Sophia Coppola film. This is Priscilla, the story of Priscilla Presley. So last year we got Baz Luhrmann's uh, Elvis movie. Yes, we did. And uh, it was loud and loud. It was all loud. shook up. It was all shit. And we had, uh, you know, Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker, a very convincing 
Colonel Parker. Uh, that movie could have been called Colonel Tom Parker, the movie. that He was the part of that movie that was the featured part. Now we get the story from Priscilla's point of view. Yeah, so when you know the Elvis movie was loud and glitzy, this movie is very, very quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's based on Priscilla Presley's book Elvis and Me. This book, um, I'm sorry, this movie certainly is going to have you thinking about your child, mm-hmm. because Priscilla Presley met Elvis when Elvis was 24 years old, and Priscilla Presley was in ninth grade. Mm-hmm. So uh, Elvis was over, uh, he was doing his military service. Uh, he was a little lonely. And so his wife, I'm sorry, his mother had just passed away. And so he strikes up a friendship with a ninth grader, Steve. Mm-hmm. That that shouldn't make anybody feel uncomfortable at all. It's very uncomfortable. It is a very uncomfortable story. And from what I'm told, they make the actress playing Priscilla really, truly look like a child in those scenes. Well, she was a child. Yeah. She was a child. Now, maybe it was a different time. Let's just kind of wink, and maybe it was. I I don't know. But I will tell you that it's certainly, think about your ninth grader dating a Mm -hmm. 24-year-old. No one really thinks about a 40-year-old dating a 30-year-old in the same way that a 24-year-old dating a 14-year-old would. Well, um, they Elvis ended up leaving the service, um, went back to Hollywood, but kept in touch with Priscilla, and for her, her, her senior year of high school, Steve, she moves to Graceland and uh, is enrolled in a Catholic school. Uh, and so she finishes high school. Elvis is gone a lot of the time. I think they really capture uh, Priscilla's story where she was very lonely. Mm-hmm. So Priscilla wasn't allowed to be in the part of Graceland where the employees were, like reading all the fan mail and answering all that stuff. She was allowed to be with um, some of Elvis's family, um, but really, she was there for them to serve her. Like, hey, you want dinner? We'll make sure dinner's on time. Hey, you you want to go to the pool? Well, go have a fun out in the pool. We'll bring you a, you know a soft drink or something. Hmm. You know, the deal is she was very very lonely during that time, and then when Elvis got home from touring or or um, recording a movie. She was expected to be by his side, and uh, there was there was there was a lot of threats involved there. You know, he's going through whatever a late twenty year old goes through. I, I'm going to study some you know odd religion or whatever he's going to do, and she he's reading all this stuff, and um, she's like, you know, I'm kind of bored with this. Can we do something else? And he's like, well, you don't have to be here. You know, I'll find somebody who wants to be with me. So immediately she's. She recognizes how vulnerable her position is, is that she is um, she's expected to be with him and go on every nuanced hobby he decides he's going to have. So um, she ultimately grows when Elvis is a little bit later in the Baz Luhrmann. You know, Elvis is doing uh, Vegas and uh, Priscilla has moved out to L.A. She's taking some classes. She's having some dinner with friends and stuff like that. She gets to kind of, at, for, for the first time in her life, probably be a grown-up, understanding who she is. And, um, you know, sadly at that time, she's leaving Elvis. Elvis is at the point where he's, um, drug abuse is pretty high. Um, and, you know, he's, from the Elvis movie, we learned that he's being used mm-hmm. uh, and being locked into contracts 
and things aren't going as well. What is not addressed, our, our movie um, ends with her leaving Elvis is um, and leaves Graceland. But, you know, what we don't uh, get to see is that when um, Elvis dies, it was Priscilla who basically took Graceland and made it the shrine it is. Mm-hmm. Basically had to take a, a failing business and create an income stream for her. And uh, people like uh, Steve take pilgrimages down to Memphis. Love, I loved going to Graceland. I loved the the myth of the man, Elvis. And, and this story certainly goes to the heart of Priscilla's view, her perspective on that whole story. And I, I prefer to live in my myth. Thank you. Yeah, there's no jungle room in this uh no? film, by the way. No. Oh, come on. I I really I really want more of these Elvis movies to feature Graceland. I think Graceland is such an interesting piece of this puzzle, that building that that made that home for this myth of this man. So 60 out of 100 what I'll say, uh like I said, it's a, it's a quiet low-key film. It would be a, a very interesting movie to kind of see how the world has changed. Hmm from what the expectations were during that period of history versus what your experience would be today. Hmm. Interesting. I, I, am, I am intrigued by this. I think it might be one of those films that maybe wins some awards. Sofia Coppola putting together this story with Priscilla in the room. Uh, I'm intrigued, but I don't know that I want to explore it that much. And I, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. It's, they don't trash Elvis. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, there's certainly some uncomfortable parts to it. Um, but I think that if this film re- reflects the book pretty well, Priscilla is as honest as she can be about her relationship with who was an incredible idol. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The, the Taylor Swift of, of that time, Steve. Yeah, he had a blank space. <laughs> You also got to see an independent horror film, something that you certainly were thinking of me the whole time while you were watching Rep Child. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of is like, why am I reviewing this? (laughs) Steve should be here. This is totally Steve's um, genre uh, to explore. So So let me go ahead and say Rep Child is truly an independent film. It was filmed in North Carolina, not too far from where I am right now, um, by North Carolinians. And um, I immediately thought of Jay and Silent Bob. So, okay. So we've got characters in this, in this story. We've got a reptile child and we've got North Carolina. That seems like a, a winning combination to me. Well, it was, Steve. But like I said, there's the Jay and Silent Bob, the quick dialogue okay. uh, between these these two guys. Now, we, you know, all the characters are, you know, they did the best they could, Steve. They found actors that could do it all. They certainly looked like they had a lot of fun doing this film. And it's a real story. So a lot of independent films kind of uh, can go any number of ways. So I, I commend them for that. Um I will say that the thing that also is very Steve is our monster who is doing all these, uh, you know, these chomping and, and uh, biting of limbs is a puppet, Steve. Yes. So once again, str- yeah, Steve, this film was made for you. Yes. Sounds like Demon Squad. Sounds like Roller Gator. Sounds like the types of films that I want to see. I, I Maybe we'll get a chance to talk to the writer and director Brockton McKinney about this one. You you met him 
this weekend, right? I did. And there's a lot of joy. <laughs> and first of all, meeting him and having and talking to the actors. I talked to a number of the actors. But but there's a lot of joy in what they put together. Mm-hmm. A lot of passion. It was a passion project, too. And there were more uh, people in the theater watching this with you than the Marvels. Yeah, oh, this was a packed film. This was a packed audience, a full oh. audience. They're cheering. They're laughing. They're laughing at all the right times. So certainly the audience was very receptive to this this film. It changes the way you watch a movie. When you have that right audience in the right room, it changes the way you watch a movie and the way you think of it fondly afterwards. So, you know, splattered blood, mm-hmm. um, silly uh, uh, limbs being bitten off or whatever. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of like gross um, bodily fluids being thrown around. But but like I said, there's a, there's a real story. There is a monster loose, Steve, and the sheriff is going to get down to the bottom of it. That sounds totally like a movie that is right up my alley. I look forward to seeing Reptile. So let's say 45 out of 100. If you get a chance to see it, see it with a full audience and have a lot of fun. And I, and I hope they shop it around to a bunch of film festivals because I, I can't, you cannot overestimate the um, why enthusiasm and joy shows through a film. It's, you know, if we compared it to, say, the Marvels, where it just looks up like a product, mm-hmm. this looks like it's, it's, it was, it was, people had a great time. It's like watching a Adam Sandler film. Yeah, it's a terrible film many times, but you know, they had a lot of fun putting it together. They and the joy vac- is all there. They went on vacation in North Carolina. That's right. Well, that's, that, that would be an Adam Sandler. It's like, hey, <laughs> where are we going for this one? We're going to Thailand. Yeah. Okay. We'll write it on the way. Yep. Okay. And I'm going to have all my friends show up. That sounds pretty good. We're going to have a great and, time. And we're going to have parties every night. Yep. All right. And, and at the end of it, we'll have a movie and Netflix is going to show it. <laughs> and it'll make money on Netflix because people will watch it. Yep. For sure. I got a chance to sit through one of my, uh, not favorites, but a movie from Mystery Science Theater 3000 this week. The Million Eyes of Sumeru was once again shown on the Gizmoplex this week. And this time we got to watch it with the writers of all the riffs. Matt McGinnis, Devin Coleman, and Harold Buckholtz sat through and watched the movie with us. This is a 1967, uh, sort of a spy movie, like, like a, James Bond with Frankie Avalon, George Nader, and Klaus Kinski. Uh, not a good movie, but it's all about that community. It's all about that group of people that watch it with you. And I had a lot of fun watching this movie again. So is it Gizmoplex an app that's on like Roku and, and Apple TV and things of that nature? It sure is. You should get your Gizmoplex on to watch all of the classic episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 and get ready for season 14 that is coming soon. We got Turkey Day 2023 coming up this week, next Thursday, November 23rd. But guess what, Chip? Turkey Day is a mega turkey day this year. It's a 48-hour day of Mystery Science Theater trying to give us all the joy of watching these movies together 
together in this community to conclude the crowdfunding campaign that Mystery Science Theater is working towards season 14. Go to mst3kturkeyday.com for all of the details and find your apps and put them on your TV and your phone and your tablet and everywhere else so you can enjoy the fun along with us. Book it, book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it, book it, book it. Book it. Brings us to our book in our book of the week. I got a chance to read one of my favorite authors this week. John Scalzi has given us so many great books over the years. This year, he's given us a title called Starter Villain. John Scalzi's latest is all about the supervillain business and how a young substitute teacher from the northwest suburbs of Chicago can fall into his uncle's complicated uh, supervillainy. Hey, Steve, you said the, the northwest uh, side of Chicago? I said the northwest suburbs, you know, like Schomburg and Barrington. Uh, this this takes place all around here, sir, over by Barrington. That's right. So we got the Barrington and we got the Schomburg. That sounds great. John Sounds Sc- like you got a winner there, Steve. I love this book. I loved it so much. <laughs> John Scalzi got his bachelor's degree at the University of Chicago, so he knows this area very well, and he's writing about this area in a way that makes me smile. Uh, they they name drop streets in Barrington, addresses, specific houses. This is the story of, okay, imagine, if you will, the villain from James Bond, remember Blofeld from James Bond, the evil villain with the cat, that symbolic moment where the villain has a cat. What if the cat was actually the one in charge of the villainy? That is the, <laughs> the story of starter villain. Well, I can think of Austin Powers with Dr. Evil yes. and um, Dr. Evil's cat, Steve. Yes, that was a parody of Blofeld from James Bond. This is not a parody. This is this is thinking through what if. What if that was where we were going with all of the evil? This substitute teacher, his uncle dies, and he gets the family business, the supervillain business, complete with an island volcano lair and all <laughs> of the challenges of being a supervillain. The premise is there. It sounds like it's a lot of fun. By the way, this was just released a month ago or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is brand new. Brand new. John Scalzi's thinking is very similar to mine. He is a, a definitely a Gen X writer that you and I uh, think very similar to John Scalzi. And you could tell by his writing that his uh, thinking matches up well with what we talk about. So one of the joys of this as a University of Chicago graduate as he is, is the uh, not so subtle shots he makes at Northwestern University throughout the entire uh, book. Not so subtle is an understatement, my friend. In addition to these super intelligent cats, there are a group of super intelligent dolphins. Uh, I'm sorry, super intelligent profane dolphins. Oh, I'm sorry, super intelligent profane insulting dolphins. They are very harsh on their opinions of Northwestern graduates. That is so fun. 
I mean, it truly is. I took a class at the University of Chicago, and that was, uh, they always use examples. The professors always use examples. And it was always to take some, you know, slide shot at this, you know, this incredibly, who goes to Northwestern? The smartest of the smart, right? Um, there's a, a cheer for Northwestern. Do you know the Northwestern cheer? No, I definitely do not. Uh, that's all right. That's okay. You'll all work for us someday. <laughs> so you know northwestern certainly is um a very gifted school so you know your, your university of chicago is too so the idea that they would take shots at each other yeah and, and, and all fun and jest it warms the heart this is a this is a heartwarming story of success the young man who is the center of this story is a former journalist at the Chicago Tribune and when the Chicago Tribune let him go he became a substitute teacher he said well everybody who's let go from journalism has two choices either become a bartender or a substitute teacher i'm a substitute teacher i would like to buy this bar that that is the <laughs> The crux of the story that he's coming to this situation and finding success with super villainy. It, that, that's one piece that I, I kind of question is the main character's emotional reaction to all of these events is kind of unbelievable. What background does he have to successfully negotiate with a criminal organization is not laid out perfectly for me in Scalzi's idea but it's it's very comic book it is very silly in its its look at the criminal organization james bond cats all i can think of is if i had to read this story for recording i would be a bill Swarsky from de beers and uh it would just be perfect steve so, is, is if, if that if you listen to this is that who you listen to i listen to will wheaton will wheaton is the audiobook narrator on this and his skill of audiobook narration has gone up so much in his career he does his schomburg accent yes Yes, I, I hope it's like on my level of chicago accent it is, it is yeah, very similar just absolutely <laughs> He, he portrays the character of a funeral home director in Schomburg in such a fun way. I was laughing out loud listening to Will Wheaton thinking about this character and how he, oh, the funeral's going to be a little bit different this time because he's this is a super villain. <laughs> we're going to stop and we're going to get ourselves a, a beef uh, in a Chicago dog state before we head out. Over by there. Yeah, you gotta go gotta go over by there and get yourself a beat. <laughs> this seems like it would be a lot of fun, Steve. There's a lot of fun to this. The the overwhelming theme seems to be a little bit muddy here. Uh John Scalzi has something to say about unions, the the dolphins, the super intelligent uh profane dolphins are forming a union and they are striking against the supervillains, which is a fun story. And he has a very interesting view on uh, capitalism and how uh, multinational corporations and venture capital might be the heart and uh, the backing of soulless predators. He's got some very interesting things to say in this very silly story about how things work in our country. In interesting. Uh huh. And this is a COVID writing, right? 
this is John Scalzi's second COVID novel. He once again, just like the first one, repeats his apology for his thinking is is different. His mind has been altered by his COVID, and he thinks differently. He writes a very interesting afterword, just like he did for the Kaiju Preservation Society, his first COVID book. And it's very interesting to think through the history of writing like this. This seems very interesting. You know, uh, the holidays are coming up and those uh, over the river and through the woods uh, trips to grandmother's house. Maybe this would be a good uh, thing to listen to on those drives. Bring along some cats. Your cats want to go to Barrington for a little while. Hey, they want to stop at Rosemont for a little bit. Maybe they got some uh, relatives there. Do you got any deep dish pizzas? <laughs> that's what we do. That's what we eat for Thanksgiving there, Steve. <laughs> this is fun. I, I recommend Scalzi's work very highly. This one is fun for a, a very specific group of people that would enjoy stories about supervillain cats. <laughs> That's Starter Villain by John Scalzi. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. Oh, there's so many things happening in the world, Chip. There's so many things that are being created right now. Elon Musk has put out a statement that he believes that AI will remove the need for jobs and create universal high income. What, what's your thinking about that statement? I, I have to, to read into this a little bit more. Uh, I mean, what he really means by high income, because he was trying to distinguish it from a high standard of living. Mm-hmm. And so I um, I don't know what to think about it. I mean, Elon Musk certainly is a, um, he's very thoughtful at times. He's and, a thinker. And he certainly wants to change the world in, in it for the better. So, I, you know, I, I don't know what to think about this. We, we do live in magical times in the sense that, you know, so many of us, very few of our homes don't have uh, indoor plumbing, Steve. Correct. Um, very few of our homes uh, don't have electricity or air conditioning or heat. So, you know, if we compare ourselves historically, that's universal high standard of living. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the idea is if everyone has high income, is everybody moving to Florida to retire? I mean, I, I don't know. Um, it certainly would make us think. So I, I would be very interested in reading more into this. It's intriguing to think about AI removing the need for jobs. If the AI does all the work and the humans are allowed their freedom to do what they want to do, what would we choose to do with that time? And and, and it's very hard to even consider because, Steve, somebody has to maintain those roads. Somebody has to grow the crops. And, you know, computers may be able to take some of that away, but somebody's still got to program a lot of that stuff. And somebody still, I mean, if you've ever worked in some kind of industry, you, you realize, like, uh, banking is pretty magical, but it's pretty clunky underneath the uh, the hood. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as, as much as we like to think that we've smoothed everything out, I don't think we've solved all the challenges. Anyway, so what push button age is, is kind of what we're thinking about here. The idea of a guy pushing a button and everything else gets done. That's, that's what I think Elon Musk has in mind. And that's magical if you're George Jetson, but still it had to underneath it, 
it has to get done. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to add something to this because Elon Musk and Peter Thiel have a, a connection with PayPal. Um, they were both founders of PayPal. Peter Thiel, I don't know if you saw this week, said that he's getting out of politics, as in he's felt that the money he's thrown into politicians has been um, futile and, and wasted effort. And he's mm-hmm. going to work out elsewhere. And he, he, he wants it known so people don't call him and ask him for money. Um, mm. So these are two high-level thinkers, certainly trying to change the world. You know, you know is it uh, a utopia, Steve, or is it dystopia? Well, you know, we'll have to ask Pam Bedour on that because we've read a few books. It's a very interesting time, spe- particularly for big thinkers who have the resources to kind of try some things. And it's so interesting that you brought up utopia and dystopia because in this article elon musk says that he's looking at a protopian future a positive look between a utopia and a dystopia a protopia i I look forward to the future yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm sorry keep going back to this we're already seeing where people who have resources are able to go do things so a place like venice is basically saying hey tourists Stay away. We've got too many people coming to here. It's over. Um, it's it's we're using the beauty. The beauty of it is that we have a certain amount of tourists coming in during this time. So if everyone is at a position where they can do everything they want, mm-hmm. you know, what we have a different we, problem? We the yeah, you're right. The the problems yeah. are becomes we have different challenges to take care different of. Shift of problems then, yeah. For Steve, sure. you know what? We need some people to write about those problems and solve them for us. And the arts are a good place to do it. Yep. The writer strike is certainly finished. And this week we got news that the actor strike is also over. So I look forward to all of those stories and all of that thinking of how we can solve the world's challenges with a bunch of actors. You know what we need? An actor. Actor, uh, actor Gary. I'm thinking of um, John Lovett, Steve. He's coming, by the way, here to Raleigh at the end of the month. And so he's going to be a thespian, Steve, a thespian. (laughs) I look forward to what what comes out of the future of all of that entertainment for sure. Some of that entertainment is going to come to Hulu and Disney, and we've got ESPN in the mix. And Disney is really changing around the way that they are going to distribute that entertainment through those apps. Yeah, it looks like that. what's happening is, you know, Disney Plus has been lost a lot of money. A lot, a lot of money. And so one of the things they're going to try to do is try to make this profitable. And the three apps that they're that Disney currently has their hands in is Hulu, Disney Plus, and ESPN. And it sounds like that um, they're going to start launching a beta in December where they're going to combine these apps into one app. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to um, roll out to everyone else in, by March of 2024. And um, uh, what... Bob Igor is basically saying is, hey, hey, parents who've been who watch Disney Plus, just remember that um, you know not everything on Hulu is uh, meant for young children, right? And um, the other part about it is, in order to pay for all these sports, um, there's going to be someone else involved, and your children are going to be able to see a lot of, let's just say, 
gambling there's there's a lot of gambling that disney has been dipping into lately we've we've covered this a couple of times on the show the idea that our young people are seeing so many more ads for for companies that are doing legal gambling that are backed by disney well it looks like they're going to actually have integrated options for sports gambling within the app so mm. you're watching your um, your NBA game, you're watching your NFL game. You you may be able to bet on it or bet on something happening within the game while you're watching it. Hey, that's what that big screen was for. I'm not positive on this. I'm very very negative on the idea of integrating gambling into our media. If, if you follow any about this, anything about the science of how the human brain works, I just. Look at someone, the the idea of going to Vegas and mm -hmm. pulling down a jack, you know, for a jackpot, you know, you, mm -hmm. you got a spinner going versus pressing a button versus using two hands and pressing multiple buttons at the same time. What the, the, the human is, th this reward system that we have inside our head, this is going to be really, really bad. We're going to look back and go, oh my God, what did we do to all these people? Uh, I, and I, listen, I'm not talking about being parental. You know, I am very laissez-faire in the sense that you go live the life that you want to live. If you sat there with a drug addict and you have the drugs lined up in front of them, mm -hmm. always available and saying, hey, you don't need to do this. Mm -hmm. There's a real issue there. You, you, you are You're pushing... The human is not meant for that type of temptation all the time. Addiction on gambling is a huge problem. Uh, we know this. We have so many studies. We've we've talked about this many times, and and I am fearful of what this will look like. And but this is how they're going to be able to pay for mm -hmm. that. And this is the reason why when you watch the. Um, we're recording this on a Sunday and mm -hmm. the NFL is coming up. And in the old days, when we were young, they'd go like, ah, you know, the Cowboys are a five point favorite. Mm -hmm. That's a gambling term. But now they show it. The, the Cowboys are a five point favorite and uh, you can place your bet on fan duels. Right. And now they're going to put the app right there beside you on that screen. And you can just press. You want to take this bet? Press it. You got it. And the question of funding is is certainly a part of this because cable was funding sports. And as people are moving away from cable, that funding has to come from somewhere. Yeah. We, this is going to be something we'll, that we're going to experience and we're going to have to make decisions on. And it's going to be like um, I, I, the best example I can think of is the tobacco industry. Mm. which uh, I'm in North Carolina, by the way. Uh, but Philip Morris and R.J. Reynolds spent a whole lifetime um, fighting studies that that tobacco was um, addicted. Well, you know, it's not conclusive, Steve. It's a vegetable. You know what I'm saying? Um, they went out. Uh, Philip Morris bought Kraft, and R.J. Reynolds bought Nabisco. And they used those same studies mm -hmm. to talk about food. The difference between cigarettes is they can put those behind the counter at the local convenience store. Um, no one's putting, you know, Oreos behind or Kraft macaroni and cheese behind yeah. the counter and saying, hey, are right. you old enough? How fat <laughs> are you? You're fat enough. 
That's right. So, you know, this idea, you know, you can't be a parent on every decision. That is right. certainly anti-society, anti-adult. Um, but at the same time, to poison people, mm -hmm. to put them in situations where we know they can't win, mm -hmm. and then place the uh, addiction right there, boy, we need some good news. Let's Let's move to something else. Well, we're going to stick with sports for a while, though. Hey, Jeff. sports, Steve, Steve. You, you know what you come to too much scrolling for is for the sports news. Uh, hey, everybody, do you remember the Arena Football League? Well, it's coming back in 2024, and this week, Thursday, November 16th, in Times Square, New York City, we are getting the schedule for the Arena Football 2024 season, and uh, I am super excited for this sport. Well, maybe there was a guy out in the uh, audience, Steve, a guy named Dancing Steve. Dancing there, Steve. Dancing yes. Steve at all the games, cheering Every on the rush. For 13 years, the Chicago Rush in Rosemont, Illinois, had had a silly, goofy uh, Uncle Nutsy in the stands, being so much fun, having so much fun watching Chicago Rush Arena football. They are holding a press conference for the new Chicago Rush on Friday. And yes, Dance and Steve is excited for the future of arena football. Well, Dance and Steve probably needs a, a press release around that time, too. Should I should I issue a press release for Dancing Steve? <laughs> I, I think I think Dancing Steve needs to have a press release. Um, <laughs> welcoming back his uh, you know his suspenders and T-shirt and the joy of watching a sport and not gambling on it. Let's put it. Let's put that out there, Steve. Let's go back into history. Fifty-seven years ago. 1966, your favorite bad movie, Manos, The Hands of Fate, was being filmed. And tomorrow is Manos Day on Dumb Industries, 24 hours of streaming of Manos properties. We are going to watch so much Manos tomorrow on Manos Day on dumb-industries.com. And some people want to know what you know, living in hell would be like. Well, guess what? It'll be this and maybe some Grateful Dead music, Steve. Just the music, just the music alone, just the do 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 do. Just, just Torgo's theme for twenty four hours streaming in your head while you're trying to live. That's Manos Day. Nah, come on, it's fun. We've had so much fun with all of these independent films and the crowd and the community that's built around this. That's what we're here for for tomorrow. And you know what? Friday we have a great big event happening. It's a it's a it's a heartwarming moment, Steve. What are we celebrating this Friday? It is our annual celebration. Your favorite. It is Life Day on Friday, November seventeenth, celebrating the forty fifth anniversary of the Star Wars holiday special from nineteen seventy eight. Time to dust off the glowing orb and dress in your red snuggie and celebrate the joy of the terrible star wars holiday special so bad that george lucas just tried to hide it and uh we found it we found it everyone it's right here is it going to be on disney plus it is, no god no they are not going to put this on disney plus they have used the idea of the holiday special in other things uh the guardians of the galaxy made a holiday special uh, a few years back in in honor of the 
terrible, terrible 1970s Star Wars holiday special. But uh, it's on Rift Tracks. So you can certainly click on the link in our show notes to go to Rift Tracks to get your Rift copy of the 1978 with commercials holiday special and celebrate Life Day. Well, that would be uh, that's like living in hell day two. Two, two days in a row manos day on wednesday and then life day on friday happy thanksgiving everybody i don't know chip i think we have enough information to survive another week what do you think only if we can come back thanksgiving week steve <laughs> you can just skip this week you're skipping all of these events this week and come back next week good advice we would love to hear from you. Give us a call or text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is too much scrolling.com. Our email is too much scrolling at gmail.com. We're on threads and x.com and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. Hey, I'm pre turkey Chip Hassenplug. Happy Life Day. And go Northwestern uh, Wildcats here, Steve. Can we disparage Northwestern some more? Push the button, Steve!